0: This episode of Fandom Power contains a significant amount of background noise. We'd like to consider that a growing pain, and we thank you for your continued support of the show.
1: Welcome to Fandom Power.
2: Welcome
0: to Fandom Power, the show where we talk about all things fandom and their influence on us culturally and more important, personally. I'm your host, Wes R. Scott, and today we're going to talk about the galaxy far, far away. That's right, we're talking Star Wars. And just before we get started, I just want to uh, let you know that it was a really difficult decision trying to come up with a topic for this episode. I mean, there are so many great pieces of fandom out there that I'm really attached to and it was a very tough decision between Star Wars or Transformers so we're gonna go with Star Wars before we kick off the conversation though I want to uh, just introduce the rest of the panel that's here with me tonight here in the studio my recording partner Scott Elder hello and our engineer and producer Andrew Daw, good evening our good friend and farmer Henry Backer hello and joining us remotely from Toronto Ontario Eric Swenson hey hey and all the way up in the valley from Petawawa, Jason Burgoyne. Groovy. And the furthest one away tonight, my very dear friend from high school, Hank McLaughlin, all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia.
1: Ahoy, ahoy.
0: Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you so much for wanting to come and do this with me. I am so excited to be doing this, and I cannot thank, thank you, for you all enough. Us. We're going to talk Star Wars tonight, and I know that each of us has our own individual connections to it, and I just want to kick off the conversation by asking everybody in turn, what is your earliest memories of Star Wars? So, in no particular order, anybody want to go first?
3: I remember my dad finishing work on a Friday night and running upstairs and grabbing me, and we ran down the main street of Fenland Falls and went and saw Empire at the Fenland Falls Movie Theater.
0: So that would have been... 1980 yeah wow five it's funny that you say that too because 1980 is actually my first memories of Star Wars as well but I was still living in Alberta at the time and I don't think I'd seen actually I can't even remember seeing a movie in a theater until a few years later like Return of the Jedi was actually the first one that I saw in a theater and it was a drive-in but I can remember watching A New Hope when it was still just called Star Wars on VHS back in 1980. Yeah, yeah VHS. And then uh, shortly after that, it went on to like Super Channel. And my parents, you know, made enough money that they could afford to subscribe. And so like <laughs> the month or two that it was on Super Channel, I think I watched it 17, 20, 40 times. I think,
1: I think that was the first movie to actually air on Canadian pay TV. Really?
0: Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I believe that's the truth. What about you guys?
4: I remember going to see the very first one in the theaters. I loved it, obviously, right from the get-go, but I think my my strongest memory, and this is just a, a retrospect memory, so it's, it's nothing that I experienced at the time, but many years later, I now realize the significance of it. I remember in 1983, coming out of the movie theater, having just watched uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, and looking back at it, uh, it's culturally significant that I remember being shocked out of my mind that Darth Vader was their father. No! Whereas it's... It's so imprinted on our culture. Now Everybody knows it's, you know, it's even iconic to hear James Earl Jones, you know, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. Everybody knows he's his father now, but I remember very specifically everybody being shocked that uh, that that was a big, that was a huge movie twist at the time. Yeah, yeah, it
0: really was. I
5: mean, his name is Vader. Vader (laughs) means father. It's it's German. That's
4: not what it's from. It's from Invader.
0: Oh, see. (laughs) I never would have picked up on either of those cues, to be honest.
5: <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 just I just want to thank you all because I feel real young today. <laughs> like I, I, I I was not alive when these movies came out, so mm-hmm. this is this is really just the ego boost I needed.
1: Okay, well, <laughs> when I was five years old, my dad took me to a drive-in movie, 1977, and I remember I don't remember I remember him telling me, or I learned somehow that the two movies that we saw. Were uh, Tornado Alley on Star Wars, and Star Wars was second. But my first memory, like actual memory that I have of, yeah. of anything that I know that was mine and that nobody told me about, was driving down the road and watching the medal ceremony disappear oh, yeah, into yeah, the yeah. distance because my dad left early. Oh no! And I was sitting in the back window, and so I don't know. It just made such a huge like. I mean, I remember the movie, but I don't, like, what I remember is driving away, like, long going, oh, my God. And then, you know, as I I sort of got older and there was more coming, it adding to that sort of excitement. Yeah, that's like my first actual memory, and it's a Star Wars memory.
5: That almost makes it more cinematic.
1: Well, it was Mm. definitely fading into the distance. Still very vivid in my head.
0: It's funny that two of us actually, you know, remember Star Wars because of a drive-in movie theater. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. Small town. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: What about the rest of you guys, Henry, uh, Andy? Um, I came to it a little uh, less directly than just being taken to see the movies. I think it must have been about 78, 79, because I was about five or six years old, and my parents got me uh, the uh, X-Wing for Christmas. The,
0: the Kenner, the the, Kenner, the, the original oh, cool. X-Wing ship. Yeah,
6: um, yeah. As a present, so they, they thought that I would think it was cool, and I very much did. And I think they thought it came with a with a pilot figure, because I'm sure there was one in the, in the picture yeah. on the box. Right. Yeah. And it didn't. And they were like, Oh, well, you know, you need a little man to fly your spaceship. So let's, you know, I think it must've been boxing day or something. We went to Woco or wherever it was. And there were all the Star Wars figures. And I had no context at all for any of this. Cause I didn't have an older brother or siblings or anything like that. And, and uh, my parents certainly just didn't know what it was beyond something that I would probably like. And so, there were the figures, and I picked out the um, Death Star droid to take home oh, to, wow. to fly my X-Wing. Because I had, no, again, sure. no context, but I liked the robot. Yeah, yeah. And so when we went back to school, I brought my new little figure to school to show my buddies. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of this information started coming at me about, oh, that's the Death Star droid. And he's in the sand crawler, and it's in the this, and that, that, and the And there's, uh, he's, you know, the Death Star. And I was like well what is all this stuff yeah yeah and they'd either been to see it or their older siblings had put them onto it right so my first experience of the star wars story was basically like an oral narrative where everybody started to fill me in on what i didn't know anything about
0: yeah yeah yeah
6: and from there it was like next stop was at the library to pick up i think it was it must have been shortly thereafter Maybe it was 80 or... Yeah, it must have been right around then because I got... I remember very specifically getting The Empire Strikes Back picture book oh, right, out of the right. library. And yes. that's how I found out that story was oh, by fantastic. Yeah. reading the picture book. And it wasn't... I didn't actually see a movie until... And this is another vivid memory is I was in bed and it was late at night for me. Yeah. And then my mom came and got me out of bed, which was a huge deal because that never happened for yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. And New Hope was on television right and she was like well you know it's a weekend whatever come on watch this so that would have been
0: in the in its actual broadcast around then yeah cool
6: yeah yeah well we didn't have cable right right we lived in the country yeah and uh, so that was how i first saw new hope and fantastic like you i think it was jedi was the first one i actually ever got to see in the theater yeah on my 10th birthday so andy what do you think my earliest
7: recollection of it would be the ewok adventure film really oh wow and I remember it because I was allowed to record it.
0: Oh, so you, uh, with a VCR. Yep. <laughs> nice.
7: Yeah, no PVRs back then.
0: What are the chances <coughs> you still have that kicking around?
7: Uh, zero. <laughs> zero percent chance for that.
0: When I was putting the notes together for the show, I actually went looking for it, and it's not easy to find a legal, easily watchable, you can get clips and stuff and you can get the intro, but it's hard to find something you can actually watch, so...
6: Now, refresh my memory. Is that the one with the little girl? Yeah. yeah the two okay. little like kids. they, that they crash, on. the spaceship crashes on the floor yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and Wilfred Brimley. Brimley. <laughs> that's the right really? thing to do.
1: Yeah, that's right.
6: I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes.
7: Well, it's interesting that
0: there's a lot of similarity. And, Eric, I want to come back to a point that you raised about being okay. the young guy on the block, uh, not having a chance to see the originals uh, in their original theatrical run. So. I'm going to assume you came into it through the prequels? Uh, no,
5: actually. I saw all three of the original movies before I ever saw a prequel. Oh, you did? Okay. I think my earliest memory is actually just the sound of the lightsabers, because I'm pretty sure I had a babysitter that watched it while I was a kid, and I was supposed to be in bed, but I town did you grow up in? <laughs> <laughs> Shiloh.
1: Oh, uh, no, it wasn't me.
5: <laughs> just the sound of the lightsaber. just... <laughs> is the earliest memory i actually have of it
0: i find the whole thing to be very fascinating like so eric and andy and henry and myself like we didn't get to see a new hope right away so like in your case henry with the audio narrative sort of filling in the holes for you i can remember you know in our neighborhood having star wars toys and it was very much the same thing playing with your friends and of course your friends Mm -hmm. hopefully they had different toys than you did and you all came together and you had this larger adventure but it's like I felt like I was that kid who was doing it wrong, you know, because like you say, you're using your Death Star droid to, to fly an X-Wing. It's like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't work. It really sense. didn't
6: work. Be- it didn't work because the figure didn't it actually wouldn't fit, fit in. <laughs> <laughs> With the wide arm stance. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: of course, of course. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that naturally leads us into sort of the, the first topic that I really want to dig down on a bit, and that is actually to sort of talk about uh, the films themselves and and sort of, you know, our thoughts and feelings about them and and maybe we can talk a little bit about sort of the legacy of just the films for a moment and uh you know going back to that uh, not being able to see them uh in their original run you know I felt really really lucky that you know in the 90s when the special edition came out I was there every night uh, for opening night of all three films so even though I didn't get to see them in their original run I did get that theatrical experience with the special editions, and like them or hate them, that was very special for me to be able to experience that. Yeah,
6: yeah I get and, that and, completely. Yeah, and I I think looking back, it's easy to forget what a drought of content there was for Star Wars for oh, that nothing. that whole time. You know, from from Jedi when it went out of the theater. Until those special editions came in, what was it, the late 90s?
0: Just prior to The Phantom Menace, or what, 96?
6: Yeah, we had, you know, the books and the early EU stuff was there. Yeah. But in terms of popular culture, I mean, once the toys were out of the store, and it was gone.
1: Yeah, in high school, all I had was the Marvel Comics run, which was really bad.
0: Do you remember what year that ended?
1: No. No strikes me like eighty nine ninety yeah in around that time
0: i just remember the marvel run being so ridiculous that it top, just over the top yeah it really couldn't hold my interest as a reader so i never did pick up on them
3: i think it always felt like it wasn't the story that um came from the movies or from any of the fiction right it was yeah over the top it was like space pirates kind of thing in the comic book i always thought yeah
1: it was more like flash gordon stuff like for you know sure I mean? like for sure
0: yeah so special editions yes or no i'm just going to kind of go around here scott yes or no sure yeah it's Henry.
6: i don't watch them now um, no if i if i'm going to sit down and watch it's going to be the original the sure yeah release, sure but i don't i don't feel particularly
7: strongly. Of no, Andy, what about you? Han shot.
0: No, Hang on Han did shoot first. Yeah. Eric, what about you, buddy?
5: Um, uh, again, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh it was whatever things that are brought
1: I, I have no legitimate reason not to like them, you know. Like sure. uh, I think maybe when I was in my late teens or early twenties and they came out and I was like, Wow, that's kinda different, you know. But in retrospect that's what he always wanted to do with them. So yeah. like artistically I think, you know, and he did push some more boundaries with the special editions, too. Like, you know, he did develop some new tech. And that's the thing that, like, not a lot of people know that uh, all those weird choices that he made throughout, you know, the succession of the films were all pushing boundaries, cinematically, filmmaking-wise, you know. Yeah. And they still do that, like, right up to The Mandalorian.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jason, what about you? Special editions, yay or nay?
7: Well,
1: I'll
4: tell you i think uh, so i get a little bit of a long-winded answer like, like anybody that knows me knows that that's not the case normally most of the time
2: but <laughs>
4: honestly i'm a no on the special editions and it's not because i don't recognize that they did some good things technologically uh that some of the special effects were cleaned up and they looked super nice but i feel like what they added it outweighed what they uh sorry what they took away from it added to overshadowed what they what they added to it what they brought to it with the uh, special editions i felt was a new sense of morality and Eric already touched on it with that whole uh, Han shot first in yeah. my mind that changed that changed the entire not only the movies as we saw them but it changed everything going forward the moral system shifted i didn't think that han solo was a bad dude in the in the first movie and then they had to make it like this ridiculous he missed a shot from 3 feet away
0: and then right, han right. shot
4: in self defense yeah that wasn't the morality of the time. He was a rogue. He was the guy who would do that. That's sure, why sure. he was Han Solo.
0: And I have to agree. Right. I have to agree. With and they carried
4: that. that forward. They carried that morality forward to all the cartoons, to the Jedi code in the in the later episodes. It it really, as far as I'm concerned, watered down a lot of what they were trying to do. The uh, the black and white between the the villains, the rogues, the antiheroes, and the heroes. There's no more anti-heroes. Everybody's just a good guy or a really bad guy. Black and white, almost caricatures. Whereas in the beginning, you had those shades of gray. You had Han Solo. Right. I understand that it's a small point, but I just couldn't get past it.
6: I would suggest that it's not a small point. I think this is a very big picture sort of perspective. But if I watch Star Wars and Empire, those are, by and large, movies with adult consequences. It starts even in Jedi a little bit, but beyond the original trilogy, there's almost like I don't want to use the word infantilization because it's a, that's a little too strong. But there is a, I think it's I think I think watering down is a good is a good point in that mm-hmm. you get to the point that in Last Jedi where Poe commits mutiny literally yeah and then as he's being hauled away the commanders are like oh I really like him. He's feisty, yeah. you know, and this universe where there's actual, yeah, adult consequences for decisions and things like that has been completely, yeah, watered down. Yeah,
4: completely stripped out of it. I have to say that the uh, the special editions as well, and this may or may not be a popular opinion here, <laughs> but uh, exposed for me, great filmmaker, but as a writer's concerned, George Lucas is a hack. Oh, buddy. I don't I think you're it. alone in that. I
5: got I got conversations to have about this t- this point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> jump in there. Eric. So when when you first asked me if I wanted to do, do this, I yes. told you like I am the worst type of Star Wars fan to do this because I'm I'm kind of like a lapsed Catholic in terms of Star Wars. <laughs> okay,
0: like, that's fair. I,
5: I used to love it when I was first getting into fantasy and sci-fi. It was like ooh, cool space wizards. Like that was my thing. Sure. And then as I grew up and read more. Sophisticated fantasy and sci fi, I got to the point where I was like, wow, this is just really badly written. And I I couldn't connect with it emotionally anymore because of how poorly written it was. So for a long time, I would just tell anyone who asked me about Star Wars, I was just like, ah, I'm not a fan of Star Wars. Don't bother. So it's taken a a lot of other things to get me back into it. Things like Rogue One was the first thing that really pulled me back. And later on, I I started watching some of the cartoons. And just recently, I finally watched The Mandalorian. So,
0: Yeah, and those are all points that I really want to hit on. So just, I want to go back to the Han Solo thing for a second because we all accept that, you know, his original presentation was the roguish pirate character. And there was no qualms about that. He was a, you didn't know if he was going to do the right thing. You kind of hoped he would, but they really wanted him to be this pirate character. And until he showed up at the very end, and saved Luke's bacon. Okay, kid, you're all clear. Now let's blow this thing. You thought he had exited the picture. Fast forward to the Disney era, and you have Solo, which, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, tries to correct that in the Han shot first context, where he's facing off with a... um, Oh, and I can't think of the character's name now. Uh, Tobias Beckett. uh, Tobias Beckett. And so, you know, Beckett, who ostensibly was the mentor character for Han and basically taught him the rules. Do we consider that moment a redeeming moment for that character?
1: I definitely thought it was a nod to us, right? Like that didn't like that scene sure. change like, for sure. Like,
5: like a wink and a tip of the hat.
1: Sure. Absolutely. But I'm, yeah. I'm actually, i now this may go against popular opinion as well, but I'm a huge fan of that movie. Uh, you're not huge alone. Fan of yeah. that movie.
3: I think a lot of people at the table, like I like that Solo.
1: one too. Yeah. That, that was, I did, I liked it all
3: right. It was unsung. I, I
1: thought, for me, that was the best one since Return of the Jedi.
0: The biggest critique against Solo was pure timing. It just came out at the wrong time. You know, everybody was yeah. so... I would suggest that everybody yeah. was so disenchanted was with The Last on. Jedi that, you know, throwing Solo out within six months of that really, you know, kind of left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. How and,
1: and much of that was Russian bots? Because that movie was like watching a fucking piece of art it
0: may have very well been that and i agree with you that that film i mean tons of fan service and yet a very solid story that really stands on its own merits as far as i'm concerned
1: tons of choices in that movie that i would have never made but i had to accept and they felt true to the characters for me and all this crazy madness on the internet about it was like i was like more than anything that's what was making me sort of sick of star wars all this hate that just seemed like
3: yeah, I think a hundred. I got to tell
4: you, I'm a I'm a big fan when when we're talking about Solo, and I'm going to put Rogue One in there as well.
1: Yeah, definitely.
4: I will say this, and like we're going, we're saying a lot of this, maybe an unpopular opinion, but maybe not at this table, but I think at yeah, large true. it is. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think the best actually crafted movies, and I'll explain when I when I say this, the best crafted movies in the Star Wars uh, universe are Rogue One and Solo. I think now, you're right. I think yeah. the class, the classic trilogy and the prequel trilogy. If you look at them as crafted movies, they're awful. The only thing that saves the original one is he's created this fantastic world that captures us. So that was a that was amazing, but the writing was terrible, The dialogue the was editing, terrible. The editing saved that movie.
5: Oh yeah, and uh, the, the, the charm the and, the, and the visuals.
4: Oh. There was a lot of charm in the first movies. Oh hell yeah, the and that saved it. Yeah. Yeah. The prequels didn't have any of the charm, but they had more special effects and the same world, so we watched it and we forgave a lot of the garbage. The first one that didn't offer us garbage was Rogue One and Solo. We didn't have to get over, there's problems with every movie, but we didn't have to get over major amounts of garbage in those two movies. We didn't have to lean on the charm, we didn't have to lean on the special effects, we didn't have to lean on we love this universe we actually could watch those movies as standalone movies and go, oh, it was a
3: good movie. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah, if you really, Disney admits they put Solo out oh. at the wrong time and it was mm-hmm. too close to everything else. The other thing, too, if you released, you know, the original or the prequel back in the 80s, before Reddit, before the internet, pre internet, yeah. Um, <laughs> right? I, I, I think yeah. you have a whole different environment for that movie to to grow and organically you know as you say right talking to your friends at school and things like that now
4: i think it would have flopped had there been no reddit no internet do you really the prequels i do
3: i i think it was the, would have been a different it was dialogue the,
4: it was the internet and ed- excitement about those movies that were it was the, the first train. blockbuster that we were the hype train and that was built up on the internet I think without the internet, it gets exposed that those movies were actually pretty poor movies. Even though now I will say I enjoyed them both thoroughly, and I'd watch them again right now. But it's the world that I love, it's the it's the concepts, it's the the Jedi and the Sith and the But if you actually make me read some of the some of the dialogue and look at some of the stupid <laughs> shit that happens in those in those movies, you're like, Oh yeah, this movie that I love is actually awful. <laughs>
1: I there's some beautiful that. tragedy in the prequels, though. You know, there's some like actually, it's actually executed really well. Like, like Anakin. I
4: didn't find it was executed well. I found there were, like you say, there were some great plot points. I didn't think they executed them very well. Look at the the only real plot point in the in the prequels is Anakin's fall. It was horrific. That was so poorly done.
2: Yeah. But I... we love
4: Vader, so we forgive it because at the end we get to see Vader, and we're like, yeah, it's amazing. No! <laughs> But it's <laughs> right, but it's
6: emotions that take us there. It's
4: not the movie. Yeah, well, it's the charm of the first movie.
6: Absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of emotions, like I'd like you to just jump back to Rogue One for a minute, if yeah, I can. yeah. Because I had a I had a really unique experience of that movie when I saw it the first time with my family in the theater, because we went to see it the day after Carrie Fisher had passed. Oh, oh yeah, and and that was extremely fresh, and, and she was really the first of the core cast members. Well, well, no, beyond was, Alec Guinness, yeah. beyond Alec Guinness, and 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 to be fair, but beyond that, you know, the first of the core who wasn't already relatively old, I right, suppose, right. At, you know, at the yeah. time <laughs> when they were made, and she had just passed, and I had no concept, of course, and this was the big reveal, and thank God I didn't know this going in. That reveal at the end of Rogue One, where she turns around and and says that line about hope, um, that was. I'd have to say that's the most emotionally impacting moment for me in any of the movies.
1: I cried like a schoolgirl. Um, Yeah.
6: And (laughs) certainly it was enhanced by the fact that knowledge that I wasn't expecting to see Carrie Fisher on the big screen in that context. I don't think any of us were. No, and that really, really hit. And the other thing that was so brilliant about Rogue One as a piece of filmmaking was they made such a deliberate effort to shoot it using the technology of the original Star Wars release. Yeah, they really avoided the CGI. It was all practical effects. They went Mm -hmm. back to the old stage settings for the ships, and that movie feels such a piece with that original world that I 100% buy it as a prequel.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Henry, you, you bring an interesting perspective because not only are you a farmer on top of all the other things you do, but you are also a stage actor
6: more of a writer okay my background is, is is writing but right yeah
0: but you have experience in live theater yeah yeah, yeah. so i find that's a very credible opinion too <laughs> certainly the return to practical effects is something that the current makers of star wars are embracing certainly the mandalorian speaks volumes to that <laughs> <laughs> well it's, um,
5: it's kind of sorry to jump no, in, no go ahead um, eric the, the practical effects kind of goes to the heart and soul of the thing because back in the day you could only do so much with the technology; it didn't exist. They invented most of it. The way I describe it to people is the Star Wars trilogies—they're like various stages of a Twinkie. That's a big Twinkie. And just just follow me on this one.
0: Sure. That's so a the big original
5: the, the, the original trilogy is just a Twinkie. It's got the structure. It's got that sweet filling. It's got everything that you like, and it's where you start. And then you go back to the prequels, and it's kind of like you just sucked out all the icing. It's it's very sweet, but it doesn't have any of the structure, or as much of the structure. It's just, it's just candy to get you to the point of the original series. And then at the end, with the new series, you're kind of just left with the sponge. And it's just a certain structure, but it doesn't quite have the heart and soul of the rest it's of it. It's funny you
0: say the sponge, because I was going to say, what, the empty wrapper?
5: Well, the Star Wars structure is there. You can't tell me that those first two movies weren't exact copies of the first two originals, Right.
2: Movies. Yeah, Force Awakens, so we, we, we a know copy. for sure.
7: So there was crumbs there. <laughs> there were crumbs. When you, 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 you when you make a copy,
4: I mean, they say imitation is the best form of flattery, but I don't think that it is. I think that what they did was a... It, well, it's you're... hack work. <laughs> When
3: you're flattering when you're just yourself. Gonna, but that's exactly when you, in general.
4: When you just approach this thing and all it is is a carbon copy excuse of a movie to try and bring people forty somethings into uh their childhood, yeah. I think
5: yeah. you Star-Lord? should go
4: into you should go into uh into filmmaker jail because it's yeah. it's no it's no better in my opinion than uh than that movie uh, Battleship with Rihanna in it. That had nothing to do with the game of the eighties. They just took something we recognized and destroyed it for money. And right. I felt like that's what the last three movies were, even though to a degree I enjoyed them because I love Jedi, I love Sith and all that stuff. But when you actually watch the movie you're like, this is awful. It's exactly the first two movies. And that's the third that's, one was just hackery.
6: We're talking yeah, about, and that, we're talking about um Force Awakens here.
4: Yeah, sequel
2: yeah, trilogy. Yeah, sequel, the last
6: sequel trilogy. Yeah let me pause something just to, just by way of devil's advocate i'm not i don't disagree with what you're saying i think yeah, no i think there's a lot of that there at what point does the star wars mythology become like the classic comic mythology like we've 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 <laughs> seen we've seen a variety of batman reboots both in in a variety of media right there's novels there's comics yeah. there's several movies and you know when you go to see a new Batman reboot, you know you're gonna get certain things, right? Yeah. You're gonna get the murder of the parents, the Joe Chill yeah. thing, right? Yeah. You're gonna get the intense training and this, and you're gonna get and what you're getting is you're getting somebody else's spin on that sort of core mythology. And yeah, that's and I, I feel like Force Awakens wanted to do that, but at the same time they somehow failed. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because the Star Wars mythology is still too fresh, at least to us as like the first generation fans, or if there's something else about it that hasn't quite transcended in that way, or if they just, yeah. you know, screwed it up that bad. Enough.
4: Well, well, I tell well, you I tell you what I liked about, this is going to relate to what you're saying, but I tell you what I liked about Rogue One, which is, by the way, my favorite of, of all the uh, Star Wars films. I liked that finally we got to, and this includes Solo, by the way. I liked Solo. I like all of them. I mean, even though I'm saying some unkind things here, I, I like all of the movies. But uh, Rogue One was the first opportunity to explore the universe, not through the eyes of basically three people who hold the key to the entire universe's fate at every stage for years before and years after their death. These people, Luke Skywalker, uh, Princess Leia, and Han Solo, they're the only things that affect the universe's fate. And Rogue One was the first one to go, hey, there's other people here too. Most big fantasies are like <laughs> yeah.
1: that, though. They follow yeah. a few core characters throughout you know, generations. Lord of the I Rings. I don't know if you could... Uh, even Lord of the Rings had a
4: lot of different characters. Oh, the Fellowship was nine. Yeah. And the Lord yeah. of the Rings is meant to be one series. They're not meant to be across three hundred years.
1: No, true. I just yeah. felt
4: that and it's it's a much larger scale too. Yeah. So you're saying like three people affect uh the fate of a country, which is basically what Middle Earth is, is the way that they I can buy that. Three people and only three people are going to affect the universe. Like can we can we see somebody else?
2: Well it took <laughs> them, <laughs> it took them no, yeah.
4: seven movies to find another woman.
0: <laughs> well, so I just want to go back to what Henry said, though, his initial question about like at what point does the franchise become like a Marvel or other big I, comic company series? And I gotta say, we're there. We're there now. We're there, yeah, now. we're there now, where every every director, every writer, every person who works on a Star Wars project is bringing their own thing to it, and so it almost comes see. That's where I disagree, Do
1: you guys. Know I don't think. Yeah, go ahead, Pablo Hidalgo. The head of Absolutely. the story group. Yeah, everything goes through that guy. Not a thing gets checked and canonized unless it goes. So through I r- Bob I really
0: want to I really want to nail on that one for a second, Hank. You mentioned the story group, and and I have to tell you right now that is my single largest criticism towards the sequel trilogy. And I was super excited when they said, "Hey, Disney bought the property; they own the farm now. We're gonna put mm-hmm. this. We're gonna put this Star Wars story group together, and we're gonna ensure that all of our projects going on from here to the end of time." Are within the same continuity, and it's like with the North. sequel trilogy, they they completely ignored their own story group. There was no consistency and no continuity. And I they're, I'm I'm all for, they're no
5: Kevin Feige man.
0: <laughs> I'm all for a director as an artist to be able to tell their cinematic story or their story their way. Uh, and as a segue to that, I'm I'm very much anticipating this Snyder cut of Justice League. But when it comes to you know Star Wars there is a bit of an expectation that that you're going to adhere to the tenants that you've set out by your own hand. This episode of fandom power is brought to you in part by collectorsplatoon.ca collectorsplatoon.ca organizers of the annual Toronto collector's platoon toy show. Check out collectorsplatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today.
4: Exactly. I just wanted to touch on what was going on there when he says, when is this, uh, he thinks that it's reached that Marvel, that comic book state now. I actually don't think they have. If you look at the Batman, if you look at the Batman stuff, each guy is trying to bring his own creative edit to Batman. Totally true. When you look at the sequels and the, the post original movies up until the stuff they've done very recently, it's not bringing anything creative. They're just trying to find new ways to copy it. And I think it's a small, but it's a significant
2: difference.
5: Well, I mean, my opinion is the opposite. I think they did it when they started the sequel trilogy because they very deliberately went, okay, all of this extended universe continuity that we've been building in this interim, oh, none, yeah. of it, none of it exists anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> Young Jedi Knights gone. Courtship of Princess Leia didn't happen.
0: Now, that's only like, yeah. that's only since Disney bought the franchise, right? Exactly.
4: Yeah, that's right.
5: And, and like, Lucas
1: had always said that he reserved the right to just decanonize anything during that period. Yeah, anyway. that's right. Yeah. I mean,
5: that's fair. Sure. But as, yeah, that stuff as was always who,
1: walking on eggshells. You know, as as somebody who was
5: brought back in by that,
1: oh, no, I get um, that. Yeah.
5: My sister was the one who actually bought all the books. She she read all the Courtship of Princess Leia and all that Mm -hmm. other stuff that came afterwards, and she eventually passed it on to me. That's how I got brought back in, and just to have all that go, nope, didn't happen. Yeah, that was was frustrating. That was what, for me, felt like that was when they jumped the shark.
4: Yeah, that was was enraging. I heard a good uh, argument many years ago uh, where somebody said, but Lucas said he can retcon anything at any time. The common argument at the time was Yes, but does it really belong to Luke George Lucas anymore? Obviously, from a business standpoint, it's his intellectual property until he sold it. It was his, but at some point, a franchise, a movie franchise, becomes part of public consciousness, and you have to pay respects to that, because that's why it's successful. That's what the public thinks of a movie. In the end, becomes the reality of what that movie's about.
0: And therein is the the dog, you know, chasing its own tail with the Force Awakens, right? that balance between yeah. fan service and it's like, cause it's not yours anymore. Right. But too much fan service. Like Eric says it
4: started with the sequels, which it totally did. But I would say in a more subtle way, it started with the prequels. They had to get, for example, they've got to say all the things that they said in the first movie. I get a bad feeling about this. Sure. You know, or the, uh, from a certain point of view, like, come on, can you, yeah. do we have to do the same things again just so that the the forty year olds of us go, oh my god, he said it. That's well.
5: The other side of that coin is the movies that we've all said that we enjoy the most, Rogue One and Solo. I call them the start of the Star Wars fan fiction movies.
4: Oh, for sure, yeah.
5: Rogue One was all about plugging those plot holes, like right. And Solo did a little bit more, and. I mean it's not a bad thing and again it's showing us that we can do other things in this universe.
0: Am I the only one that's heard the expression that George Lucas is his own biggest fan? Hence all <laughs> of all of the uh, no. edits and updates and the special editions and revisions and more revisions.
1: Yeah, the footage of him and Rick McCallum watching screening the Phantom Menace yeah. and, and George Lucas says, "I may have gone too far."
0: Well, also way something.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: they couldn't edit it as they did.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna bash on the uh, the sequels, uh, you know, too much because we've all uh, we've all got our opinions about them. But I, I definitely will. I
1: love it. If uh, you stamp it with Star Wars, I'll eat it. I'll buy we'll it. See, I'll it. I'll we'll see, and that's where I am. Like you could
0: you, you could paint Star Wars on a rock and and put it in front of me and say it's new, and I will stare at it because it's new, right?
1: And
4: yeah. I will. I yeah, will. and I gotta say, I, I gotta make the point that even though I've been pretty critical during this conversation, I am the exact same way. If you put Star Wars on it, I will watch
0: it. Yeah. Yeah.
6: And I would say as well that critical as I am of that whole storyline, arc or lack thereof, there are a lot of things that I like about the sequel trilogy, and yes, I do think and I like it significantly more than the prequel trilogy. the The prequel trilogy to me just and this goes back to what I was saying about Rogue One. The prequel trilogy never felt like it was part of that same world, and certainly not in an earlier time because the the use of the CGI was so overwhelming and so jarring. It was so um, (laughs) jar-jarring that, (laughs) you know, I had to, in the theater, I remember watching The Phantom Menace and I literally had to look at the seven-year-old sitting down the row from me who was just like wide-eyed and getting blown away because this was probably his first First Star Wars movie in a theater and sort of I had to watch the movie through his eyes and then I could enjoy it. For you the, know, as it were.
0: For the record, the Phantom Menace still is my personal record for uh, most theatrical viewings of a Star Wars film. At Nicely six. Done. At six times.
1: I slept twenty four oh, hours to get into the theater to be first in line. Yeah. See yeah. a midnight showing.
4: I will say as a positive about the Phantom Menace, I love the fight scenes.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, we can touch on this a little bit later, but uh, I'll, I'm just going to bring up right now, I'm going to skip ahead to The Mandalorian for a second. Everybody has watched this, yes or no? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Right, yep. so did everybody get a chance to watch the Disney Gallery, The Making of The Mandalorian? Sure, no, I didn't skip. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to, sorry Jay, a little bit of a spoiler, but you, need, right. you need to go back and, and watch Gallery, and you need to pay particular uh, attention to the episode where Dave Filoni goes on, And he he waxes poetic to all the directors in the room. And I have to tell you, every director in that room goes silent, like pin drop silent when he goes on and he regales why the Duel of the Fates is the most important lightsaber battle in the entire sequel. There's a reason why it's called the Duel of the Fates. It is for the fate of Anakin Skywalker that Qui-Gon Jinn knows that he's the father that Anakin needs. And so, quite literally, it's a make-or-break moment. Where had Qui Gon had lived, we would not have gotten the fall from grace and the turn of the Vader. Super, super cool uh, moment in the franchise. That you know, you want to talk about, uh, you know, fans and fan films. Dave Filoni is probably oh, the most capable. I'm so glad he's. The in most charge. capable fan out there and anything that he does i will watch it and i will invest in it as if lucas had written it himself did you know so. he
1: was heavily involved in the uh avatar the last interview
0: yeah that's he got hired off of avatar to do yeah man. Uh, to do
1: clone wars yeah man oh,
3: really
0: anybody else have any closing points they want to put on the uh on the films before we move on to the next
3: i think there's going to be a generation that doesn't know any better as original trilogy Maybe you've got some DVDs still kicking around. Maybe you have a VHS.
0: If you're lucky, you got a laser disc of the original print.
3: Maybe. So, but I mean, right? They're not making <laughs> They're going to remake them. I, Do you I, think, I think they'll be released. In our lifetime, yeah. Yep, there's going to be a, a remake. Shot for shot. There'll
0: yeah. be enough fan pressure for Disney to uh, I, I pull think, it out. think, though,
3: if you think really, it's getting hard to get your hands on a copy. Yes. An original. Yeah. And as yeah. I say, my kids don't know anything other than the remake Some of you I might think have. Disney
1: might do what they've been doing with their animated properties and flip the script and actually do animated fucking versions. Excuse my language of the Star Wars. Oh yeah, movies.
0: yeah. Instead of going from animated to live action.
1: Yeah, that's I think that's. Awesome. Awesome. I think
0: that so, would be. Man. I think that would be well down. received.
5: If they did it in the style of Clone Wars,
1: I would give them all of my money. I'll you tell you, if
0: dirty? they did it in the style of the the Tie Fighter fan film.
6: Oh man. Oh yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. That's excellent. We're
0: gonna get there. So just let's close. Yeah, Henry, you got a point to make.
6: Yeah, I just wanted to say one last thing about sure the, uh, about A New Hope in particular. Sometimes it's and Scott alluded to this too about like this is all you know his kids know and and that's the same for my kids too in terms of the Star Wars franchise. But yep. but if you ever want to try and recreate for yourself the impact of the original Star Wars. Take a weekend or a week or whatever you have during, you know, whenever the next quarantine rolls around.
1: Oh, it's like tomorrow.
6: And it's, yeah, it's and, and watch... Move to Nova Scotia. Watch a whole bunch of movies that were released between 1973 and 1977. Right. And what was big at the box office in the 70s. And it's some dark-ass shit. Yeah. It's like The Godfather. It's Taxi Jaws. Drivers. Oh, that's right. Jaws. That's right. It's all of these movies that were basically sort of expressing this very dark worldview, which is pretty much, you know, the 1970s, you know, between, you know, the sixties hangover and the economic crises and everything else that was and Watergate and everything else that was going on at that time, that was sort of like dragging down the culture, you know, just, just emotionally, I think, in a lot of ways. And then watch a new hope and those special effects And the music and that whole bizarre, wonderful space fantasy that it is. Right. And that's why that movie started this whole thing. Right, right. Because it was really needed, I think, at that time, just culturally offered the That's a really
4: good point. I mean, if you look back at the movies at the time in that genre, you get things like Planet of the Apes. uh, What's the other one there? The uh, Soylent Green. 2001. I mean, these... 2001 these were some dark ass movies
0: yeah 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 wow so lots That's of a lots of opinions flying around here on the films you know the classic trilogy is still near and dear to a lot of us and it sounds like we're kind of on equal footing when it comes to the uh, sequels and the prequels but we do agree on one thing that we you know despite all our criticisms we love them so i'm just going to go around the table and i'm going to ask everybody of all of the films whether it's you know lucas era or disney era What's your favorite film? And I'm going to start with our, uh, our call-in guest. So start with you, Jay. What's your favorite?
4: Uh, I have to qualify it, but it's, it's Rogue One. Now, sure, sure. It's Rogue One because of the original trilogies. Because the original trilogies set up the framework that I love so much. I love that universe. And, but Rogue One was the best, in my opinion, the best delve into that universe. So I guess it's Rogue One with, a, uh, with respect to uh, uh, Episode 4.
0: Good answer. Eric, what about you?
5: I got to agree with Jay, but for different reasons. It's Rogue One because it took the first step, I think even just in Hollywood in general, in showing the world that we don't have to abandon these universes just cuz the movies are over. Right. We can, mm-hmm. we can we can dive back in and do something adjacent and or different.
0: Oh, that's if, a, that's a great gee,
4: point. If there's just enough will to do it. Sure, sure. It was really nice to see that everybody died at the end of Rogue One.
0: Uh, yeah, and you know that there <laughs> no was no loose ends. There was a version of the script that Jin and Cassian survived. Yep. So, you know, as much as I am eagerly like I would love to see what that the script looked like time travel.
1: Yeah, that's
0: true. <laughs> that's true the world <laughs> between worlds. Uh Hank over to you my friend. What's your uh, favorite film?
1: Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, and if you don't think that's the case, we probably can't be friends in real life.
0: Well, then you should hang up the phone right now because I am sorely <laughs> going to disappoint you.
2: <laughs> the
1: Empire Strikes Back, man. Uh, so much about that film. Just the time that I saw it, the age that I was at, like, like ten years old, and like I had that memory of Star Wars, but that thing just like imprinted on me, and I must have gone to the theater like ten times, just, to, right. just kept going over and over and over. And there was a few theaters that actually showed late in the run. They showed a new hope back before when it was just called star Wars Yep. and empire back to back. And it was just like, I just can't say enough. Empire.
0: Fantastic. Uh, so now uh, here in the studio, I'm going to have to disappoint you. It's return of the Jedi. My friend, everybody, <laughs> everybody says they, they love empire, but they really do love return of the Jedi. And uh, if I can quantify that, you know, return of the Jedi really lays it on the nose, you know, the whole good versus evil. And it's like, you know, despite the fact that Luke Skywalker is wearing black, he might as well be wearing a giant white Stetson hat. Like (laughs) it is return of the Jedi. And it's the the full realization that Luke is, he is the one to save the galaxy for the second time, I might add. And uh, I don't know. It's just, there's a feel good about that movie from start to finish that, you know, just isn't there in, in any of the other films. Like I can watch that movie with a smile from start to finish every time.
3: I will agree, I'm an Empire guy. It's story building. There's suspense. There's trauma. It's just a cool story from start to finish, right? You don't know what's coming up. And I will agree, Jedi ties it up beautifully. But man, Empire takes that from a goofy space opera and makes it a trilogy. It's what ties one and three together. And it does it wonderfully.
1: There was a romance in it, and I didn't go. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah,
0: that's true, eh? What do you say, Henry?
6: I'm going to go with a tie between Empire and Rogue One. I don't know if that's allowed, but I couldn't. I you couldn't make me choose between them. Sure. Further to what Scott said, it takes that original world, but then it it really is the first one that creates that sense that within the context of this one movie, this universe is a world where anything is possible. In that one movie, you've got an ice planet, you've got Dagoba, you've got Bespin, which is like in the clouds somehow, um, but it all works, and it all works perfectly, and it adds so much color and life and variety to that universe, whereas Star Wars is pretty much the, a new hope is pretty much set indoors you know yeah you're talking a full third of that movie is in the death star yeah exactly yeah and it's very tight and it's very constrained because the budget was very constrained and then with empire it's that perfect combination of a big budget and a good story that and it doesn't you know fall into the oh and we got to blow up a a planet size battle station (laughs) motif
0: yeah absolutely Andy, what do you think, sir?
6: Uh,
7: for me, it's got to be a tie between Empire and Jedi. Interesting. The story that gets you to the end of Empire yeah. leaves you in a dark place, like everything's falling apart. But then they bring you back with Jedi, and everything works out. Universe is reestablished.
0: Well, that's a great answer.
1: You're listening to Phantom Power.
0: So, there's this period, you know, 1983 rolls along and Jedi rolls out of the theater. And then it's like, what are you going to do next? And, uh, you know, at this point, we've had, what, one official Star Wars television project. And that's (laughs) the, the 1979 holiday special. So, for anybody who hasn't seen it recently, just tell you, it's on YouTube now. And you can go and watch it at your leisure if you can stand it.
1: It's super bad. B. Arthur, isn't it? It well, is. B. Ar- B. Arthur and
0: B. Arthur and Art Carney.
1: It's crazy.
0: They're it's both absolutely in it.
1: Crazy. Has everybody seen it?
6: I have yet to watch it.
3: Not from start oh, to
1: finish. You've got to stomach it. It's something to. It's like a car crash. You just can't look away.
6: I know. I've started watching it on YouTube. I couldn't tell you how. I could. I don't remember how far I got. I'm pretty sure I didn't see the whole. thing. I'm
1: actually amazed at how many people like that I talk to in my generation, my age. I'm like 49. And that saw it live on TV. Yeah, in the kids. broadcast.
6: And even though it only broadcast once, one time. What year did it broadcast? Nineteen
0: seventy-nine. Yeah. See, yeah. and I think
6: I wasn't even. I must have been. It was probably like that Christmas that I've got my thing, so I wouldn't have even known to look right. for it. Yeah.
1: And it had. I mean, I, I lived up north in like Kirkfield, Ontario, and there had to be an, like we maybe got three channels, so it had to have been CBC or or you know that it was broadcast. On, right. So yeah. Yeah. Super obscure.
0: I definitely remember seeing it in its broadcast run. You know, I don't remember a lot of the the weird stuff like the the quasi sex scene with you, no. know, you know, I I don't remember that, but and then watching it again as an adult and I'm like, oh yeah, that's really like wow. But at the same time, the holiday special introduced a few things that, you know, like it or not, have been re canonized in the new Disney canon. So I mean the idea of Life Day. Life Day, it was introduced in the 79 special. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if there's one redeeming quality about the special, it's got to be the animated short, uh, which includes the Uh, first appearance of Boba Fett.
1: Absolutely.
3: And I think right that plays right into the future and that kind of his rifle. Yeah, of course. It's it's a pull right out of that that
0: scene. The big tuning fork rifle. That yeah, it's made its way into the Mandalorian,
1: and it's cool. Is that the mythosaur that he's riding in that too?
0: I believe it is supposed to be the mythosaur. That's right, with the downward, uh, the downward facing. uh, I guess their horns. I guess coming out the side of its head. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting though. So I mean, uh, if you didn't know, Hank, I'm sure you knew this one, but uh, the holiday special has a distinctly Canadian connection, as it was animated by Nelvana. Absolutely. And Nelvana that would go on to work on some of the next. Star Wars television properties, and that would be the Droids and Ewoks television series in what,
1: 84, 85? I have a personal connection to the Ewoks TV show. Uh, My best friend, Kelly's older brother, Mark, worked at Nelvana and was a background artist on Ewoks before he went on to bigger and better things. Five Will Goes West and feature films such as... uh, In his room, he had a a picture of a Duloc camp. if you guys Yeah, are the dulock cartoon is the bad guys uh from the Ewok show and it was a rejected drawing because there was Ewok skulls on pikes <laughs> and like it was it was seriously dark and and gory and uh he he let me have it. I had it in my bedroom for quite a long time when I was a kid. Yeah.
0: What I liked about the series not particularly Ewoks because I found it I don't know what the right word is. I can only say Maybe it was a little more juvenile, you know, kind of targeted at maybe just a slightly younger audience. But I always thought that droids, it was more meant for me, you know, for my age group. And I would have been, what, 10 or 11 at the time that it came out. The idea that the droids, you know, passing from, you know, master to master, before any of the expanded universe, before any of the, the sequel stuff that changed all that, it was just this interesting way of keeping in touch like jason said that universe and so as much as rogue one built that universe i mean droids was doing it you know 15 years earlier i mean the precursor to pod racing was a was a direct lift right out of one of the droids episodes
1: no absolutely droids was solid it had some really good moments they had uh
0: And, I mean, mean, you've got Anthony Daniels reprising his role as C-3PO, so, I mean, here's a guy who can say that, you know, he's been involved in everything. Any other droids memories for anybody?
6: Daniels is the one that's been in the most different Star Wars properties, probably by a long shot, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always found it weird that in droids, like, they they mimic that same animation style that they used in the holiday special, and did you notice that all the humanoid characters were three-fingered? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I didn't? know. i had to go back and check that
0: all out. All three-fingered, yeah. Oh,
7: that was an animation choice back then. Yeah, yeah it's before yeah, yeah. people learned how to draw hands. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hands are hard.
0: So then, you know, Star Wars has kind of had a, its ups and downs as far as television properties go, and, and I think we can agree that as much as the Holiday Series was maybe a downward moment, the droids and Ewoks were uh, kind of a, a turnaround for them. Uh, that brings us kind of to your first memory, Andy, going into the uh, the two Ewok films. So you, we had uh, Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, and then its sequel, Ewok's The Battle for Endor. And that, to be honest with you, I have almost zero memory of both of them.
7: My main memories are those two kids crashing. I know <laughs> I watched it. I know I watched it a bunch of times, but past that, I did not see Battle for Endor.
0: No. I couldn't figure what would compel these kids who were, you know, ostensibly marooned on Endor to get rescued and then have to come back. It just didn't make any sense to me.
6: Do you know who produced those movies? Uh, Was it Lucasfilm?
0: I didn't uh, in my research. I didn't look that hard at it.
6: Yeah. If I think back, my memories, of especially that one with the kids, is it reminds me of, of like sort of a mediocre Disney movie. Yeah, no, and I doubt that Disney was was involved. But if I think of like, if you think of like the ones you used to watch, the
0: from, Wonderful World of Disney, like yeah. the Sunday yeah, Night Movie, yeah. like yeah. Escape
6: to Witch Mountain, yes, or something yes, like that. very it had, much, it had that same tone yeah. of like these are kids that are in over their head, but you know that there's no stakes here, like nothing bad's going to happen to them.
0: Yeah, the
1: gentleman's name was Thomas G. Smith. He was hired by Lucas. He was a television producer. Okay, no fanfare there.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's too bad, because it's unfortunate that we don't really remember them, but I guess that really speaks to the overall quality of them.
1: I haven't seen them as an adult. I watched them when I was a kid, probably a couple times, just sure. because they were Star Wars content in them.
0: Yeah.
6: I mean, they were. is it too cynical to say that they existed to sell more Ewok plushies? I mean... Well it's funny Pro- that's so
1: probably true.
0: But let's look at it this way. We'll jump ahead a bit to merchandising a little bit. You're talking the Final Seventeen and the Droids Ewoks figure line came out in nineteen eighty five, and then after that there was nothing. So
1: What were I, the year were those two movies? Uh and so and eighty five. Eighty
7: four and, yeah, and 80. Battle oh, for yeah. Endor was yeah. eighty
1: five. Yeah. Yeah, they were just trying to keep it, the toys rolling. And,
7: did
0: they get action figure releases in the Kenner line?
1: The droids definitely did. I'm not sure that the Ewoks actually did.
0: I know droids did for sure. I actually had a droids uh, C-3PO come through the shop here a couple of years ago, so that was pretty exciting. Cool. So then television kind of dries up there for a little while, and we don't really get a whole
6: lot. I'd just like to reference one other Star Wars television thing yeah, from yeah. that period, Yeah. and that's The, the Muppet Show.
0: The Muppet Show. With, oh, hell yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, hard hard yeah. Hard With Mark call, Hamill. Sir. I totally R2- forgot that. Don't do that. And, and that oh, was yeah. that was my television highlight because it was that combination of the Jim Henson and the Lucas. Or, yeah. uh, these are like, you know, two of the biggest icons of my childhood. And to see those worlds come together and they had a lot of fun with it and it was silly and goofy, um, but it was wonderful. And, you know, just like the, this, this image of Kermit, you know, or everybody. It was like a running joke in that yeah. thing of like, hey, who's your tailor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Or perfect, Or to have... You know? Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker showing up, you know, uh, pigs in space. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Talk about on the nose, right?
7: That's right. Yeah. So just looking, there was an Ewoks toy line.
0: There was. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that's Ewoks to support the cartoon. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know later on in some of the more modern stuff, there was a version of Wicket that uh, came with a movie accurate hood and then a cartoon uh the green hood with the the cape on it, so it was a nice, like, oh, nice. nice little nice little nod to the show so then television kind of dries out you know throughout the uh the late eighties oh. and into the nineties, and then the makers of Samurai Jack are suddenly doing five minute short films that later would go on to be uh smashed together into an hour long series originally titled uh oddly enough, the Clone Wars. So the Gendi Tartakovsky Clone Wars, anybody have any thoughts on that?
1: I have a sketchbook full of me trying to draw like that. (laughs) A a full sketchbook of Star Wars drawings, just pausing that friggin' thing over and over. That was amazing. Seeing Jedi, seeing, I think it's Mace Windu, who pulls a Star Destroyer from orbit with the Force. Right. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, Yoda's telling Luke, you could do anything with the Force. You know, I'm yeah. just lifting this little plane, but I could, you know, if there is limitless power here available, kid, if you could just tune in. And then you see Mace Windu, you know, crush Grievous's heart. With yeah, his yeah, face. exactly. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about. That got me really, really, really back into things, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think so there's... I I think there's this attitude because of the, the CGI clone wars that came afterwards, that people are very quick to dismiss the Tartakovsky stuff. But like, if you didn't I love that, yeah. and And I would agree. Like when it came out on DVD and I finally could sit down and I could watch it in its entirety and, and watch it. I would say as it was intended as a complete narrative, it adds so much, you know, to me, that particular chunk of the clone wars, is superfluous with the, the later CGI stuff. It's just a different aspect Hell yeah. of the war.
1: I, it doesn't feel different to me. Like it feels like snippets from the story all kind yeah. of jammed in. And yeah, the other yeah. one is like more linear, but uh, yeah, if but anybody hasn't seen it, it's on YouTube stem to stern in one video. Oh, fantastic. Well, That's good to know.
3: I think I watched it on the cartoon network and yeah. in the snippets. Yeah. So it was like in between and you'd get the, that little five minute, five right. minute, um, Not a huge fan of the animation style, um, but really it it, it takes it a different direction, and it was a lot darker, I think. You know, almost that Teletoon after dark kind of feeling, that throwback. I think I remember them getting, was it Obi-Wan, or maybe it was um, Anakin, and they get swallowed up by some kind of gelatinous cyborg, right? and they explode it from the inside. That's right. Yeah, that was Obi-Wan. Yeah. I yeah, can't yeah. Uh,
0: that villain has a name and I can't tell you what it is. Right. And I remember
3: yeah. that. I'm like I'm like, this is not a kid's cartoon.
0: <laughs> no, not by any means. And I mean look at Well Go ahead, Eric.
5: No, I just I just wanted to say, as again, the youngest man in the room. Yep. As somebody who grew up on things like Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab, I can understand why that art style doesn't appeal to you, but it absolutely appeals to people who, who grew up on those sort of
2: Absolute Cartoon
5: Network shows. Yeah. Uh, and again, like you said, Samurai Jack. So the thing about the Tartakovsky shorts is that that is art. I
0: like, would absolutely for, agree with that.
5: For all that every other, for all that it tells the story and for all that every other Star Wars movie or show tells the story, I think specifically those shorts are meant more as an art form than mm-hmm. anything else that's, i thought that's how i feel about they it. they
1: felt like fan fiction like that guy was allowed to flex again yeah. you know what i mean like yeah, not yeah. not that it's a bad thing but no I, I no, no no i agree no, no absolutely
4: uh, oh and i think that guy's name was dirge dirge that's right
0: <laughs> that is right dirge was the name I've of. i've been sitting
4: all.
1: here thinking about it the
4: entire time like i can't remember his name and i've been obsessing that <laughs> no you're right it it's is dirge
0: The Tartakovsky Clone Wars really established, again, like some of the more enduring elements that would come afterwards, I think kind of got established there, like Asaj Ventress. Oh, hell yeah. You know, she was done superbly wicked in that series. And I just, there's something, I just loved it. The episode, particularly with the ARC Troopers, and that's a, the episode is completely without a spoken word and it's all hand signals and the soldier, the soldier in me really really appreciated that like i just i really dug that i actually like
4: the uh, whole clone Wars series right from the original uh animation to the cgi one
0: yeah and i would agree with you on that i went to the theater to see the i guess it's the feature length pilot episode of clone wars right right, you know? right, right. me too yes sir. and i've since when season uh, what's the last one seven when season seven dropped on disney I went back and I tried to rewatch just to brush up on some stuff, and I I went all the way back to that
3: to that movie,
0: and it is the worst piece of the entire thing, you know, with the going to rescue Jabba's son, you yeah. know how how low, and I don't mean I don't mean in terms of quality, but how low they were aiming, you know, their target audience with, you know, Anakin referring to Ahsoka as snips. Her calling him Sky Guy and R2-D2 was Tooie. Like, it was just so juvenile. And and I it was like, oh my god, is this what we're in for? I'm like, okay, I'll watch it because it's got Star Wars on it. But thank god that every season of that show got successively better and better and better and better. And arguably, this last season, season 7, that overlaps directly with Revenge of the Sith is definitely a high moment for that series. I was going to
1: say, they, they sort of redeem that little movie in season seven, because they have there's a an accident when they're chasing Zero, and a ship crashes into a building off in the background, and yeah. it's the thing that kills those two girls' parents. Oh, that's and right. And orphans them. Yes! And yes, Yeah. so they, they, you know, Filoni knows what he's doing. Of course he
0: does. Yeah, I mean, he really does have his finger on the pulse of all things Star Wars, and you know, there's, oh. if you're active in the fan community online, you see there's a there's a lot of strong, strong language and strong opinions about removing Kathleen Kennedy from, you know, the head of Lucasfilm. And, you know, I'm neither here nor there on that. But if they were ever to hand the reins over to anybody, there is no better choice than Dave Filoni to take over the whole thing.
1: I hmm. like him in a creative spot. I don't want him to have too much power. I like him right where he is. Sure. Power corrupts. I don't know that you're allowed to flex at those levels of. I keep saying power, but you know, like, I really like him where he is, where he's in the trenches. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's still telling, like, you know, rebels. could we go under rebels? We for can a second definitely
0: touch on rebels. That's next that's on the. That's some
1: yep. of my favorite stuff. Yeah, me since, too. Since the old stuff, rebels is brilliant. Me too. Loved it. Uh, amazing storytelling. Really gets into some cool crap with the Force at the end. Like I think you uh,
3: say it exactly, and it the storytelling, and that's who he is is a storyteller.
1: Yeah, and it um, feels like an extension of the Clone Wars, and Mandalorian feels like an extension of Rebels. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like, that's a story I wouldn't mind following for generations for yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, like, for sure. Anybody know if there's any like legs to these Disney show rumors, like the Lando Calrissian show, or, so, or I know that they're in the production with the Cassian Andor that's moving forward and I've in, not
0: uh, I've not heard anything about the Lando thing. I I definitely I did hear about the Cassian thing and I'm very much Cassian Andor as far as I'm concerned was the most compelling character in Rogue One when when he's having that argument with Jin on the U wing and he's like suddenly you care. I've been doing this since I was, you know, how old or
1: that's right. Like, yeah, you're that, not the only one to lose people.
0: That guy's got some serious demons, and I want to know his story, because he's a very interesting character to me. But yeah, uh, that's on the move. Haven't heard too much on the Obi-Wan front lately.
1: Hello there. I know they're in some rewrites or some, I don't know, they're trying to calm people down. And I tried to stay away from all the internet hype, because it, it inevitably turns negative. And I really yeah. want to be surprised. I was looking at Star Wars news Every morning, like when all the, the sequels were coming out, and I was True. like, Oh, they're filming here, and oh, there's an X Wing in this shot, and somebody saw a Wookiee over in a- yeah, yeah. and then I just went dead silent for The Mandalorian, and I'm so friggin' glad that I did with some of the stuff that they let go, like popped <laughs> yeah. up there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I have to admit that I am a news junkie, so I'm that guy that, as much as I, I want to be surprised, I can't not look at it. Mm-hmm.
6: And with this franchise, and with all of the resources that Disney has at its disposal, and the bar that Game of Thrones set for television, oh, yeah. <laughs> what would a Game of Thrones scale Star Wars series that could run for eight or nine or ten seasons? The like, Old Republic. Could, you know, yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, the Old Republic, yeah. I
1: thought but, that's what we were getting when Bennoff and Weiss were uh, in mean, talks with Disney. I would,
6: there. Yeah, I would well, clarify. Uh, did, did that not go anywhere? or Maybe. I will like, clarify, Knights of the Old Republic.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so we're talking like that three thousand years prior to the film.
6: Not the Old
3: Republic itself. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Go ahead, Scott. Because
3: right the now there's crap. the new novelization. Yeah, uh, uh, High Republic.
0: High Republic, and that's supposed to be at the height of
3: the Jedi. Yeah. So 300, yeah, it's Yoda in his prime. Yeah, three yeah, to four hundred yeah, yeah. years before. Before 3-4. the
0: films, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So, hey, Yoda. <laughs> Less wrinkly Yoda. It's about two hundred years.
1: I think it's set two hundred yeah. years, so he's yeah. about six hundred. And apparently, it's like frontiersman. Like yes. they're he's a they're journeyman. helping people colonize the galaxy, and they're keeping people safe. And it's going to be feel more like samurai. This That's what I've been reading. Anyway, I haven't actually touched anything. I I've been like a digging... Magnificent
3: Seven Jedi. Could be good. <laughs> um, Could be ideally, good. I think they're doing the story from a point of view of like seven to eight characters, from Jedi Master to Padawan to. You know, already they're talking about disillusioned uh, Jedis even then at the height. So it's it's very interesting. It's very frontier-based, kind of where, you know, the core was still the Wild West. And, you know, they would build these space stations, and that was sort of the centralized push from these stations, right? But, I, I mean, I was a fan of the novelization, and that, as we talked about, the decanonization Kind of yeah. broke my heart, right? Of all these books you read as a young No, man, it's true. I adult. read them all. Yeah, it's true. And, I read a lot. I'm looking forward to this, and they're doing it through a little bit of youth fiction, some adult fiction, yeah. and they're yeah. doing comics. comics and yep. uh, the Yoda storyline is apparently going to be in the comic.
0: Fantastic.
3: And, um, kind of excited. Just yeah. touching
0: on Yoda specifically for a moment, though. Like that's one of, if there is one great mystery surrounding star wars it's that yoda is this he's an enigma he's he's undefined he yes we saw yaddle in the prequel trilogy and we can accept that she's of the same species but star wars has gone out of its way to conceal that you know you can go back to the the whole well the original drafts or or early drafts of star wars were from the journal of the wills so his species is a will whatever a will is but really star wars has really worked very very hard or maybe they haven't maybe they just completely ignored it because they know again it's just one of those it is the great mystery of star wars that nobody really knows where he comes from nobody knows what they're about and and we're even seeing that in the mandalorian where you know the armorer has charged Din Djarin to reunite him with his people well does that mean reunite him with his species or reunite him with jedi like not really sure where that's going but so the I'm- rumor is
1: we'll get the name of the race this season
0: You know what, though? Again, going back to the great mystery, I would be okay if it was never, ever, ever revealed. You know, I mean, Star Wars as a franchise is one of those things where, and this dips into the merchandising bit of things, where every character from every scene at some point is going to get an action figure, they're going to get a name, and they're going to get a whole fleshed-out backstory one way or another. It's only a matter Mm -hmm. of time. We've seen it with everything. Yeah, but it's...
1: That's how they ruined uh, Wolverine.
0: yeah
6: why do you have to bring that up I've just other forgotten show. about it <laughs> as soon as they put the infant yoda type character yeah in that show yep. that's the hook of the show of course it cuz is. Is we're going to
0: 100% but if we and, never and, and, get there i would be fine watching you know surrogate father and son run around the galaxy doing bounty hunter shit for 10 Are you guys 12
1: familiar seasons. with lone wolf yep. and cub yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: i would be completely yeah. satisfied with watching them trade the galaxy i that and never, ever, you know, develop him as a, you know, oh, it's Yoda species. I don't need it. feels it. like
1: Kung Fu, the legend, or not the legend, the original Kung Fu TV show to me. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Like that yeah, one. Yeah. And I could deal, I could do that for 10 seasons straight. No oh, problem. yeah, for sure. Very trophic.
4: <laughs> and you've just <laughs> aged a couple of us again.
2: <laughs>
0: just going back to Rebels for a minute. Um, solid voice cast. Freddie Prince Jr. as Canon Jarvis has got to be one of the best performances, you know, for a hero character. I didn't realize it was Freddie Prince Jr. until I actually sat down yeah. and read the credits.
1: It's my wife's favorite Star Wars character.
0: But what about Sam Witwer's Darth Maul? Woo!
1: I mean. So happy they used him in the solo film. Yeah. Because apparently I, Ray Park's stuff was awful. I, I was always fairly.
5: thought that, I always regretted that they didn't do anything with. Darth Maul. He had one or two lines and then yep. he had a kick-ass fight scene and that was about it.
1: Oh, you mean at, the, at the end? Such a waste. I think was Lucas so? was trying to recreate the Boba Fett effect with Darth yes, Maul. Oh, no, Lucas Maul. Uh,
4: purposefully killed him. That's why they cut him in half. So there'd be no question that he's never coming back. <laughs> Robot legs, bitch. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> right, so I didn't say Lucas did it well. I said that's why he did it. <laughs> that's, not
0: not to go backwards, uh, but really, didn't the prequel trilogy do that with every movie? They introduced these awesome villains and then just off them, like what? They had no longevity. Darth, Have you ever Maul, heard the yeah.
1: theory that all the villains are different stages of Anakin? What do you
0: mean? That's an interesting one. I would love to explore that a like, little further.
1: Like, uh, let me try to think about this. Darth Maul is the. Uh, the youthful rage yeah yeah you know what i mean like the the youthful uh, unfocused kind of like just pure adrenaline and rage yeah and grievous uh, is the
5: broken veteran
1: well yeah. well grievous is last really so like uh dooku is dooku. The, like the fallen knight yeah right? yeah is. yeah grievous is the broken robot partially human par- or partially sentient partially you know and so uh, that's how he set up those villains to be the stages of Anakin's fall.
0: So Anakin is really the culmination of all of those three villains into one being, I suppose.
1: Some good writing there. It just wasn't executed well.
6: (laughs) And I will say that's one thing the prequel trilogy has over the sequel trilogy is actually interesting villains.
0: Yeah, they really do. They for sure do. Yeah. Not that Kylo Ren wasn't an interesting villain. It's just, unfortunately, going back to that whole not paying attention to your own story group, Having no continuity with those characters really did the whole trilogy a disservice.
2: Yeah.
5: I mean, the lightsaber temper tantrum kind of undermines this whole deal.
0: I liked it. No, that was his character. I, I loved the fact yep. that
4: he wasn't a classic villain.
0: No, he was a... love the fact
4: that he was a bit of a baby. He
0: sure, was Th- a does
1: anybody have teenagers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was his grandfather personified. The only thing that he had didn't have in his favor was the expectation that he have his tantrums in private because he belonged to the Jedi Order. Kylo Ren had no such uh, compunctions, and he could unload wherever the hell he wanted to.
1: If you guys get a chance, check out the uh, Kylo Ren. It's like a four-issue miniseries. It yeah. ex- explains like part of how Snoke turns him and how he joins the Knights of Ren, but as one of their members. And then yeah. He- kills their leader to take the saber it's kind of cool stuff man
0: that's interesting
3: and i think you've got such a great point and they've said that the novelization of the prequel trilogy yeah it gets flushed out it talks about sidious it talks about you know what he really was trying to do it talks about really who ren was and i think this is we get stuck up with these movies and what we see on film but if you actually read the novelization of those films, yeah, it's way better. And there's more. It comes across. Yeah. It does. They literally
1: explain that when he touches her, he finds a wall in her head. Yeah. That, you know, that somebody put up. And that when he tries to break through, that's when they connect. And it literally explains that in the novel. And it's totally lost in the film.
4: Okay, See, so- I felt they did the same thing with the prequels. It's not to go back even further, but the novelization of the prequels did the same thing. Where... Anakin's Fall was so much better done in, oh, the, uh, in the novelization, and as was uh, the understanding of the force and Yoda and part of why he was holding
0: back in a lot of the, in a lot of instances.
4: It, I thought it was a fantastic if yeah. only they could have done the movie the same way they did the novelization.
0: So let's, let's just shift gears for a second. I know we've got some talking points to get to, but, you know, we're having a great conversation about the novelizations of the films, which by and large are my favorite Star Wars novels yet, whether it's EU or canon, those by far are the best. And I really love the idea that, you know, the authors who are who are writing them are given they're given access to to these scripts and it may not be final right so you're you're getting these elements of of early script drafts or mid rewrites and it just adds this whole extra level and i don't know the biggest one for me is like when um the return of the jedi the, the biggest the biggest what the fuck moment in return of the jedi is when obi-wan is talking to luke about a certain point of view He very specifically tells Luke Skywalker that when you and your sister were born, you were separated because the Emperor knew that if Vader had children, they'd be a threat to him. So your sister was taken to Alderaan. And then Obi-Wan very specifically says, and I took you to live with my brother on Tatooine. So, yeah, yeah, good point. In one script draft, Owen Lars and Obi-Wan Kenobi are brothers. Yeah. So hmm. when you keep that, keep that in the back of your mind, the next time you're watching A New Hope and Baru and Lars are staring at each other at the dinner table going, that man's a crazy old wizard,
1: you know. There's a scene, I just got to talk about this. There's a scene there, and if if George Lucas didn't tell Alec Guinness what the whole frigging show was about, yeah. you know, right from the get-go, and I don't think that he did because I don't think he kind of knew at the, at the moment, but Entirely possible. there's a scene when he said, you know, when he's about to tell Luke about his father and he takes a moment, he just takes this breath and he kind of just gazes off into the distance. And it's like, he's about to tell the lie. Yeah. And there's a piece of acting there that is like, Oh yeah. That's why you hired Alec Guinness. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And for me, it's like when I rewatch it as an adult, I'm like, he knows that actor knows what's going on. And he's like, there's a moment there. It's funny that uh, Alec Guinness would, uh, would character
4: would have or did characterize his uh his part in those movies as the worst
1: acting that he's ever done yeah it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, strange yeah, yeah. who's the more foolish the fool or the fool who follows it yeah uh, he was my gateway drug into the rest of his movies yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, bridge over river kwai oh my goodness yeah
0: you know some of the other standout moments in the novelizations uh i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit here well i guess it's, it's jumping ahead and it's also jumping back because i'm going to the prequels for a second here but uh You know, there's that moment in Attack of the Clones in the novelization where you're reading the Dooku's inner monologue when he's facing off Yoda and he thinks that, you know, I'm going to kick your ass. And then Yoda turns it on and Dooku very quickly goes, what the hell was I thinking? (laughs) You know, (laughs) metaphorically speaking. Or the moment in Revenge of the Sith when, uh, you know, you almost, and I I say almost because I don't really, but you almost feel sympathetic to Dooku as the leader of the Separatists because right up until the moment where he's in the, uh, the, the throne room with Chancellor Palpatine, he really thought he was doing the right thing by leading the Separatists. He actually thought that he was leading the galaxy to a new form of government, and he thought he was in the right, right up until... Palpatine looked at Anakin and said, "Do it." You know,
1: it, yeah. when he gives that speech to Obi Wan, right. when he's yeah. got Obi Wan prisoner, I I bought it. I yeah, fully believed he was telling the truth right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, really, really, you know, it's safe to say that the novelizations, you know, have hit some really, really highs, and then there's been, you know, some real misses. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm not gonna go deeply into them, but you know, misses for me like of Bakura was a bit of a bleh, bit of a dud. Uh, the whole the whole New Jedi Order with the Yuuzhan Vong to me it was just say, yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> with, oh my goodness, Star Wars with the board before the
1: dark times, before yeah. the Yuuzhan Vong.
0: To me, it was, uh, you know, Star Wars trying to capitalize on the popularity of Trek at the time, which had arguably the biggest cinematic villain in the Borg, and they just wanted to do something like that. And they just did it, instead of being cybernetic, they did it biologically. I loved it. Really? It's
5: kind of funny that Star Wars, which is is famous for its movies,
6: it still falls plagued to the old adage, the book was better.
0: Yeah, interesting enough.
6: (laughs) (laughs) And on that for a second, I think that it points to the fact that as a storyteller, George Lucas is conceptually very, very strong. But in terms of the mechanics of storytelling, he has a lot of blind spots. And so in, have, yeah. in the hands of a professional writer, these stories come to life in a way that, you know, I think what we really see in the prequel trilogy which is the only one that Lucas was, you know, directly involved with after the original trilogy, is we see some founder's syndrome. We see a guy that just can't let go of his baby and let it, you know, become something bigger.
1: Um, I think, I think at that point too, because it was everybody was like there was a huge hype train. Like as you're building towards the Phantom Menace, and and he's turned the lights back on at Lucasfilm, and like, hey, hey everybody, we're gonna go again, right? And there's, yeah. There's this hype train, and I, I feel like. People were afraid to say no to him.
6: Yeah, that's exactly.
1: Right, like people were like, "Just well, we'll just let him do a puppet Yoda. It'll be okay. You've got brown hair, no problem. That's that's fine. That's completely fine. Oh, you're gonna pick that kid to act when this kid's clearly no problem. It'll yeah. all work out. He's George Lucas. Yeah, I and I think I think that's it, the it's
5: a, I think it's a provable, verifiable statement to say that he's an excellent tool builder. Yeah, but he's not the best craftsman. Like, he doesn't use those tools as well as other people could or have.
4: I just think he gives in to uh, the lowest common denominator way too often. He's like, this is what the fans want because he takes the ones, the noisy few, yeah. and he appeals to it. I mean, that's that Jar Jar Binks in uh, in a nutshell. We need to have another comic source, so he just went right to the J- Jar Jar Binks. He's a hack.
1: Great he also- universe he's he- built, but... He did that for his kids. It's like his own children, and he like ran that by them, and they loved it for whatever reason. They might not have I, had very good senses of humor or whatever, but that's yeah. But if you
4: act like an idiot like Jar Jar Binks to your kids, they're gonna laugh.
1: Doesn't yeah, mean I, it should be in a movie. <laughs> well, no, a I, I, I will
5: credit this like the Jar Jar Binks voice and how he talks is the best way to piss anybody off. <laughs>
4: uh, well that smells stink
1: like
5: it's been an excellent tool uh, in my tool belt for whenever i've needed to just just no you know what you need to be pissed off now
1: i love uh bill bergs uh he, he uses some gungan like slang or something and he says a little, like in a jar jar voice in the mandalorian in that uh, the uh, six or seven Oh, episode. that's right yeah, oh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and it works very well yeah yeah so, oh, has anybody uh, anybody actually tried to watch Resistance? I tried. I tried as well. I have stomached the first season when they pulled the Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They, they took the station and made it into a spaceship. Yeah, And I was like, oh, okay, we just jumped the shark. I didn't um, really
1: care about any of the characters at first. Now that I played the squadrons and Major Von Reg as a character in that, I might go back and explore a little bit so Von Reg, Yeah, and the animation—it just felt like I don't know—something about that style of animation didn't appeal to me.
0: The to me, that cell shaded animation is yeah. you know ten to fifteen years out of
1: date. And it, it felt old like that. That's exactly right. It maybe maybe
0: you that. remember? Remember uh, this is a sort of a bit of a side for you, Hank. But do you remember the Robotech Battle Cry video game? Hell yeah. So it reminds me of that. And in Battle yes. Cry it worked fantastically.
1: But now... There's a Transformers game very similar to yes, that. Yes, that's right. CS4, yeah, absolutely. it's like that, yeah.
0: But I don't feel like it lends itself well to the style of stories that are typically Star Wars. And I no. guess I shouldn't say typical Star Wars because Resistance kind of proves that there really isn't a typical Star Wars. You know, you have a mm. you have a cast of characters who are essentially racers.
1: And for me, when it was the only three point seven five stuff you could get in stores, yeah, uh, I stopped. That's the actual only line that I never even got one of.
0: None of the resistance stuff,
1: none of the resistance, nope. and not I just I was like almost like a moral. I have to say, I, enough is enough. I have look all my last Jedi figures. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm staring at three poses right now. <laughs> anyway.
0: We'll, we're going to touch on merchandising later and we can we can talk about sort of where we draw the line in the sand on collectibles, that's for sure. So that brings us arguably to what a lot of people would consider to be the best slice of Star Wars since Rogue One and maybe even the best piece of Star Wars in the Disney era, and that is The Mandalorian. Season one is in the can. I personally have watched it three times now get season two that's dropping on the 30th of this month i'm going to be there for episode one and every week until it's over and i'll watch it for 17 24 50 times what do we all I, think of I, the Mandalorian?
5: all you need to say about the mandalorian is what it says constantly to itself this is the way mm. yeah. like this is how this franchise needs to move forward these kinds
1: of stories
0: isn't it funny, though, that they tried to do that in The Force Awakens when Max von Sydow says, maybe this will start to put things right when he slips the map into Poe's hand and everybody took it as the metaphor for we're going to right the wrongs of the prequels and then they just didn't.
6: <laughs> and I haven't done any research on this, but who is that Max von Sydow character?
0: Max von Sydow's character, oh my gosh. He, I can't Tec- never yeah, Lor Tekka was supposed to be a survivor of Alderaan. So, how he got the map, I have no idea.
1: There's uh, there's comic stuff about it. For here. sure it's there not, is. It's not terribly interesting. But okay. uh, the thing is that he's a, a priest in the Church of the Force. And that whole village, and you, you don't get this unless you read the novel, that whole village is members of this Church of the Force, which ties sort of back into what the uh, Guardians of the Wills were doing on Jeddah in Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. And that the idea that there are lay people that worship the
6: Force see sometimes like
1: non non-forced users that like are priests in the force that can teach right. the force or like you know and then there's characters like maz Kanata that seem to be you know of the force they have abilities you know so it for me it brings a, a broader picture
6: yeah and and sometimes i feel like watching the sequel trilogy and i know we're, this is off topic but i just want to make this point yeah, for a sure. second is that watching that sequel trilogy I feel like what it must feel like if you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy never having read the books, because there's so many random references yep. that are clearly part of some larger story, but it's not a story that's being told in these movies. Yeah. And now, because Lord of the Rings is an adaptation of a you know, much larger work, you can sort of tolerate that. Yeah. Most yeah. people come to it having read the book, but in... What is predominantly and primarily a a film franchise, I find that kind of thing frustrating. But anyway, what that ties around to is that's what I think is fantastic about a series like The Mandalorian, is that you have the time with a tightly focused storyline over a whole season. You have time to develop character. You have time to develop backstories. You have time to develop all of these things. You're not relying on these outside properties to be able to tell a quality story.
0: It's funny you say that, too, Henry, because going back to this whole story group thing, we've seen it with certainly with the EA license on the video games and the comic books is that Star Wars is not just a movie franchise anymore. You can't just go. Sorry, I shouldn't say that you can go and watch a movie or you can go and watch The Mandalorian or you can go and watch Rebels and, or any of those other still canonized properties and you can enjoy them for what they are. But they are going so far out of their way now to tie everything together that there's stuff you're just not going to pick up on it if you haven't. I, if you haven't, it's read the Marvel the Universe. It, it really yeah, is. It's like
1: yeah. that on the Avengers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like but for you say, me
1: as a comic collector, uh, that was always my favorite part of the Marvel Universe was the the crazy continuity. Sure. From like the 70s to the 90s when it yeah. was tight as hell, that was my favorite stuff. Like because I knew that something that happened. In issue thirty five is going to, you know, it mattered somewhere else that happened in in issue ninety, like, sure. In, in it, so for yeah. me, Star Wars drawing on that or kind of going in that direction gives me like it's more cohesive. It rewards I like it. you. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So right, somebody that's into everything, or right, it's a little nod to hey, thanks for buying the comics. This yeah, one's, this one's
1: for yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's I like just, a, a like on Facebook, an extra indoor. Yeah. An I'm, extra indoor.
0: I'm getting that with squadrons right now, and I and I don't want to spoil it for you, but there's an element so, of squadrons that ties into the uh, Star Wars Armada tabletop game, which really nice. kind of threw me for a loop because the continuity that's established on the back of the, the model box does not jive with what's going on in the game. So I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute,
1: this is weird. Super happy that it's set after Return of the Jedi. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, Mandalorian after the after Return of the Jedi by uh, uh, I believe yeah. five years I think yep. is the is the yep. where we're picking it up.
3: So right. New
0: Republic you could bump
1: into Han Solo or Luke Skywalker at any moment, New and that's just the potential. The that's idea right. that that could happen is fantastic. You have a Cause fledgling. It doesn't need to happen.
0: No, you've right? got a you've got a fledgling New Republic which now is you know established a seat of government on Chandrila. And you have, you know, what we would refer to as the Imperial Remnant from the old EU days. Uh, so wait,
5: does that mean that Baby Yoda was born in between Phantom Menace and the Clone Wars?
0: Yeah, he's I mean, 50, he's 50 yes. years old at the time of Mandalorian, so he's the, he's pre... Phantom Menace
1: is 35 uh, BBY, right? That's right. And if that's, uh, what do we think, what's what, So six he survived
5: years? the Clone Wars,
1: which is yeah. Heck yeah, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was 20 years before the Clone Wars, probably, what do 15 we, to 20 years.
0: What do we think so of, um, sorry, go ahead, Eric.
5: No, I was going to say, so he would have been born sometime around the Phantom Menace.
0: Uh, yeah, give or take, yeah? Yeah, yeah. What do we think about the Mandalorian re-canonizing or changing the context that Mandalorian is a way of life and not a species?
1: Well, I think something happened. Yeah. I think something happened, and that we're probably maybe to dive into that. But uh, uh, the idea that that's how they're moving forward. There's a few I things they're that
5: they're going to bring in Mandalore himself.
1: There's a few things like the armor's helmet. Him. Yeah. The, the armor's helmet has the spikes from the Maul. That's right. Followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah.
0: so, so Death Watch. just just they're a group
1: yeah. of the Mandalorians. Right.
0: To touch on, on what you're. Moon. To touch on the thing that you're talking about, Eric, are they gonna are they gonna make reference to Mandalore? So, I mean, if you do a deep dive on Rebels and back into the Clone Wars, then you know that the Dark was a unique lightsaber created by the first Mandalorian Jedi, right? And then culturally uh, significant because I'm not sure where this comes from. I'm pretty sure it was discussed in Rebels, but there's some connection to Whoever wields the dark saber is Mandalore.
4: Correct. That's right. Correct. Yeah. Right. So yeah.
0: technically, Moff Gideon is Mandalore.
5: I thought it was the armor of Mandalore that made you Mandalore. Well, the... there's a special set of Mandalorian armor besides what everyone else wears. That like this is Mandalore's armor. See, I, I, I may be remembering something from the knights of the old
4: republic
0: that's entirely possible i know that kotor really really went deep on the whole mandalorian jedi war thing and i didn't follow that very closely i certainly didn't follow it when dark horse i think had the license i think Mm -hmm. dark horse actually did quite a bit of stuff on that as well xr
1: conan and that stuff yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure
6: i'm not as deep into the expanded universe as as you guys yeah but the kotor was that the, the massively multiplayer, like the so online role So that's, the, that's game? the Old Republic, the which Old is Republic. based in that same time okay. period,
0: but...
5: KOTOR is like D&D with Star Wars. Yeah.
6: And is that the multiplayer online game, or is that... It originally started as you
0: know, a... It
5: spawns the multiplayer online game. It's a yeah, so first-person. It's, it's a turn-based... RPG oh, okay. in, the, in the style of D&D. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Which
6: then yeah, yeah. eventually formed the basis. Yeah. The, the lore forms the basis for the game. Exactly. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's what spawned things like Darth Revan. And, uh, and they've the canonized Revan.
1: that. They've canonized yeah. Revan in uh, And in to be honest, Star Wars,
4: one of the best twists in uh, Star Wars history.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I actually put the controller down. That's right. I put the controller down. I grab the side of my head and I'm like, oh my God. I
7: did the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. When you take the mask off,
7: I'm Revan.
6: Oh my God. (laughs)
7: Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Filthy. While we're still on the subject of the Mandalorian, I just want to ask a couple more questions about that the episode the gunfighter so that's the episode where they go after fennec shan and at the end of the episode we get the clink of spurs and the jangle do we we see a pair of boots anybody want to speculate on what we're getting from that
1: well that jangle apparently is the same sound that uh, is used uh, in the empire when boba fett's walking down the hall with yeah uh, solo's body apparently i haven't done any research myself so I've that is the, that rumor.
0: that's the popular opinion is that that is a setup and, for the return of boba fett
1: and so then after that i watched the crap out of that scene trying yeah. to pause it and zoom in on it do whatever i could sure. to see if i could find a, uh, a shadow it doesn't um, give anything does it some of the stuff i have read about season two i don't know if people are uh, on a blackout or not but if anybody's read the aftermath novels no um that's the chuck wendy ones right yeah, there's a little snippet in one of them about uh, Cobb Vant and he's, uh, he in, in the novel, he buys a set of Mandalorian armor off Jawas, and Freetown is in Tatooine, it's on yeah. Tatooine. and Timothy Oliphant has been cast. That's right. And so I, there's a bunch of stuff going on there that I'm pretty excited about, so that's sort of the direction I think they're going to go, because the timeline is perfect. I
0: would say that's probably the same thing, and along with the other casting news... You have, like you say, Cobb Vance, but you also have uh, Tamura Morrison uh, has been yes. cast in an unnamed role. Well, I mean, there's only, so, Rex. Many, there's only so many roles that he Rex. can fill. Well, so you know what? I'm thinking Rex and Boba Fett. There's no reason why he can't be doing
1: multiple roles. It's a true story. He, yeah. he did 10,000, right? That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and Carlo Esposito, is he not one of the best on-screen villains you've seen in a while?
1: there's I mean, two great villains guy. in that yeah yeah uh was it werner hart Herzog? werner yeah. Herzog. Werner, yeah man those both those guys kicked their roles right out of the park they I'm, really I'm amazing and, uh,
2: can, this movie yeah. speaks to my soul
1: <laughs> oh i love his delivery when he uh he steps to uh dinjar in between he's got the two uh weapons pointed at the two stormtroopers right. skewed to him and he he steps right between the guns right up to his face i'm yeah. like wow that's
0: That takes a a pair of pills. Yeah, hell
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) So, yep, The Mandalorian, I would say it's right up there with some of the best Star Wars since Rogue One, and I am completely in love with it, and will watch it until the end of days. Thank you. Any final thoughts on uh, Mandalorian before we move on to games?
2: Just
1: Hope they don't fuck it up. Yeah.
5: (laughs) Don't Game of Thrones it,
1: boys. So and, yeah i hope they don't fuck it up
6: yeah and in terms of the tone i mean they basically mashed up a spaghetti western with what is sergio wars leon and, wrote yeah, fucking star wars yeah, for sure exactly. for sure fantastic. It's
1: fantastic and it's
2: perfect this is the way
5: i think this is going to be a two-parter maybe we can definitely cut it up there's no there's no
0: issue with doing that we can cut it up awesome thanks for hanging out Jay.
4: fantastic conversation thank you very thank much thank you guys. very much for wanting to be hey, a part hey, of DJ. this hey cheers
0: have a good was night a my lot of fun have, have a night. good night Hey, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Star Wars here on Fandom Power. We had a lot to talk about, and the conversation will continue on Part 2. Join us next time.
1: Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
0: Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say?